Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Jim Garrity is still out, but I'm very happy today to have John Gabriel, editor-in-chief at ricochet.com. He is also the king of stuff, as you should know by now, and the host of the King of Stuff podcast. Um, We are going to be talking about the interesting vote counting, or really the vote counting that's not happening in the state of Arizona so far uh, and still needs to happen. Uh, Neighboring Nevada, not doing too much better. Uh, We'll also be talking about Donald Trump's thoughts publicly on Ron DeSantis and Glenn Youngkin and then uh, the world's worst ever promo. So uh, as you go through that list, you know there's not a good martini, but uh, we are going to start on a very positive note, John, uh, because today is Veterans Day. Um, We all, I'm sure, know veterans, or most of us do, but many of us have them in our families. You, of course, are a U.S. Navy veteran. Um, I've mentioned a number of times on the podcast that I have the privilege of uh, anchoring oral history interviews for veterans podcast that we do here. And so I've had the chance to meet actually one of the final World War I veterans and then countless World War II all the way up through Korea, Vietnam, Gulf War, Iraq and Afghanistan, and even uh, other operations in between. So um, today is the day that we celebrate everyone who's ever worn the uniform. Memorial Day, of course, is about those who gave the last full measure of devotion, but today's the day to honor everyone who's ever served our country. And we thank you and your families for that selfless service. And John, of course, that includes you. Well, I appreciate that. My job was very easy. I served during peacetime and I was on a submarine, so not a lot of hand-to-hand combat or, uh, I don't know, digging foxholes in that role. But uh, yeah, if you ever get a chance, you see a guy wearing a cap from Vietnam, World War II, the ship he used to serve on, just uh, get over your shyness like I'm a total introvert and just say thank you to them and they will act like tough guys and it doesn't bother them. And then if you look back a minute later, they'll have kind of a beaming face because um, they always really appreciate it. So thank those guys. And uh, thanks to all the veterans listening now. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Today and every day. So, uh, John, let's move on to the less pleasant news of the day. And that is what in the world is going on in your state? You've actually written about this now, and it's not the first time that Arizona has been really pokey in counting ballots. Of course, there was a huge controversy in the 2020 presidential election. A lot of folks might not remember it now, but the Republican primary for governor in Arizona took a really long time to count. In fact, it looked for a while like Carrie Lake wouldn't be the nominee, but in, in the end, she was. And now, on election day, we had all these problems with about a fifth of the uh, of the tabulating machines in Maricopa County, which is the bulk of the population. Uh, and then once uh, the polls were closed, it's taken them forever and a day to actually count the votes. I mean, we ended election night uh, somewhere in the low 70 percent, and I think we're barely up to 80 percent now. So it's not just that it's taking a long time to count. They're getting almost nothing done each day so far. So why does this keep happening? Oh, boy. Um, I wish I had a good answer, but um, (laughs) from everything I've reviewed, I know people who are involved in this, and they send me angry messages when I criticize their slow count. Um, So we're not talking about massive conspiracy. We're talking about typical governmental incompetence. What's really frustrating about this, being an Arizonan myself, is they knew this was a problem in 2020. They knew it was a problem a few months ago during the primary. And they just seem to be caught flat-footed yet again. Florida used to be the laughing stock way back in 2000 with 
hanging chads and dimpled chads and all that craziness, butterfly ballots. And you know what they did the next year? They passed something. They did election reforms. They've kept updating those rules. And, you know, within an hour after the polls closed in Florida, we knew who the next governor would be. Well, the current governor um, as well. And we knew who the main senator was. And Arizona is still poking around. Now, um, I will tell everybody that, uh, yeah, until we uh, update our system, if Carrie Lake wins, and I believe she will, uh, she, that is going to be the top of her agenda, thankfully. Um, but if you're a Democrat in Arizona and you're up by a percentage point or two, that won't last. Because so far they've been counting the ballots that were um, in person on Election Day and all those early ballots that were mailed in. What they haven't touched so far is all the people like yours truly who got the mail-in ballot and thought about it and wondered and dithered and got lazy. And Tuesday morning, we thought, I should probably fill this out and drop it <laughs> off at my uh, local polling place, which I did. So mine will, I'm sure, be the very last vote counted in the state. But uh, yeah, for all the candidates who are where Republicans are down by a couple points, that will go away and go away pretty quickly. Hopefully, we will know Friday evening and especially Saturday um, how big those numbers are because when we talk about it being Republican-leaning vote collection there, we're talking 65 to 75% GOP. So there are over half a million votes waited to be counted, and I don't see how Katie Hobbs is going to make it. The one who's really nip and tuck is Blake Masters. That I would rather be in Kelly's camp, I think, than Masters. Uh, he has a tougher row to hoe. However, um, he could win it too. It's anyone's race. That'll be really dicey, and we might not know that one for even until next week. Yeah, a couple of things here to follow up. Thank you for explaining that. And uh, I should point out that as of right now, you're a disenfranchised voter until your ballot gets in there. So you got uh, that right. So you need to uh, take this. Is Jim Eagle. <laughs> They're oppressing me as a Finnish American, I think. <laughs> Nobody talks about the persecution of the Finns in this country. It <laughs> really needs to be talked about more. But uh, you point out that in addition to many of the other ways that uh, Florida improved its system after the debacle in 2000, one of the things that's also been updated is the number of polling places. You point out that Miami-Dade County offered over 1,000 polling places, one for every 2,541 residents. Meanwhile, Maricopa which is much bigger than Miami-Dade County population-wise, offered only 223, which means there's one polling place for uh, every 20,166 residents. So even if the machines were working, you'd be having huge lines there because the capacity is not in the right place. Absolutely. And that and that's what you that's what you see happening. That's why you get long lines. And it's just maddening because um, elections officials and most of them are Republicans. These are not mega Republicans, to say the least. But, um, you know, I've met with these people. I don't think it's a corruption thing. And I completely understand why people are like something's hinky here. What's going on? That's the natural response to it. But these people have spent the past two years mocking and ridiculing people who thought this was not the optimal system and, you know, calling them conspiracy theorists, etc. This is under their purview. And when somebody isn't doing the job, they get fired or they resign. And these people just need to resign. And the state needs to change the regulations. It worked in Florida. It will work here. They just have to do their jobs, which I know is a... Uh, 
um, I don't know, a high watermark for expecting government officials to do their jobs, but uh, it's the least we can expect. <laughs> well, I guess it's slightly more comforting that it's incompetence as opposed to corruption. But, uh, you know, it's on the margins there as long as, you know, Timmy's not accidentally stumbling with thousands of ballots into the fireplace kind of incompetence <laughs> right, type right. of thing. But in the end, like you were saying, John, you can't call people out for questioning election results when you're so bad at delivering election results. I mean, it's not like they got to send the ballots by sled dog like they do in some places in Alaska. Arizona's got some remote parts of the state, but you can get the information in in a reasonable amount of time and they're just not doing it. And so even if it is uh, a complete lack of corruption here, you're going to lose faith in the system. And that's not the people's fault who are losing faith. It's the fault of the people running the system. Exactly. And uh, for all the complaints about people, you know, complaining about conspiracy theories, um, I never credit a conspiracy what can be better explained through incompetence. <laughs> However, when you have a very low trust society, which the U.S. is at this point, and Arizona especially is with regard to elections, you need to understand that. And the way that you um, solve conspiracy theories is doing your job well and being transparent about it and not being super defensive when people criticize you taking 10 days to count a few votes. This is your job. You should be able to do it. And instead of whining that people are saying mean things about you on Twitter, do your job better. That's why we aren't having uh, allegations of fraud and panic in Florida and we are getting them in Arizona because the people in charge of counting the votes are not doing their jobs well. And that's on them. That it's not on the people who are already primed to distrust their their betters in government. Yeah, there's some simple things you can do to build trust in the system. First of all, secure votes, voter ID. I would send drop boxes in a rocket to the sun. Those things uh, <laughs> build no confidence in the system. And then get the results done quickly. I mean, it's not that complicated. Like you said, Florida proves they can do it. Other states do a pretty good job of it as well. Virginia, I think, being one of them. And uh, other states, just not not getting it done. Yeah, I guess Arizona isn't quite as advanced as um, high-tech giants like Brazil. Who three <laughs> weeks ago, we were able to count all their votes in about three hours. But uh, I think we can uh, step up and be um, slightly better. Maybe it'll take us twice as long as Brazil. We'll be happy with that. Yeah, the Italians did it pretty well recently, too. Right, so. right. Amazing. Come on. Come on. We can do better. And Florida's the example to follow. All right. On to our second martini now. And John, I don't know whether this is bad or crazy or both, but uh, President Trump has made it known that he's not too fond of the idea of Ron DeSantis running for president, assuming that that's the big announcement Trump's going to be making from Mar-a-Lago next week. Uh, a lot of Republicans, including some of his own staffers, are begging him to push off this announcement, especially if that's what it is, till after the Georgia runoff on December 6th. I think it's highly unlikely he's going to reschedule uh, for the sake of anyone. But the uh, the topic today is his social media blast from yesterday. These are on Truth Social because he's still not back on, on Twitter. And, you know, just a few days before Election Day where he's calling the governor of Florida, Ron DeSanctimonious. Now he's taking credit for DeSantis's win in 2018, saying uh, DeSantis had no chance in the primary until Trump got behind him. And then he was going to get, uh, you know, robbed of a, a victory by the election officials in Broward County until Trump allegedly sent the FBI down there. I think that's news to me if it actually happened. Uh, and so, 
basically saying the only reason Ron DeSantis has a profile right now is because of me. That did not go over well with a lot of people, including a lot of people who are friendly um, to Donald Trump. Uh, then, I think it was earlier today, uh, he goes after Glenn Youngkin, uh, governor here in Virginia, where I am, uh, who's also been rumored to be at least mildly interested in 2024. And I think his barnstorming the country uh, during the midterms might uh, add some evidence to that. Youngkin. Now that's an interesting take, says Trump. Sounds Chinese, doesn't it? In Virginia, couldn't have won without me. I endorsed him, did a very big Trump rally for him telephonically. Got MAGA to vote for him or he couldn't have come close to winning. But he knows that and admits it. Besides, having a hard time with the Dems in Virginia, but he'll get it done. So Trump is taking some heat, and I would argue validly uh, on some of the big races about the candidates he endorsed and ultimately helped get nominations that ended up being weak. I would say Mastriano and Oz in Pennsylvania in particular, but um, some would point to New Hampshire Senate and, and some others along the way. So he's, he's defensive about that. And we're still going to have, whether it's a very weak President Biden running, a uh, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, who knows who it could be, Gavin Newsom, I don't know. Um, having this much Republican infighting is going to be ugly. If, in fact, Trump is running, he's trying to to kneecap uh, uh, DeSantis and, and Youngkin from the get-go here. I'm not sure it's necessarily going to work, but uh, do you think he's burning more bridges than helping here? Because, you know, I, I know you're a, a guy that's never been a huge fan of Donald Trump, but you're one of those amazing creatures who remained a conservative while not liking Donald Trump, <laughs> opposed to some of the people we'll be talking about in just a moment. Uh, I've been kind of, you know, back and forth depending on the policy, and uh, he was actually more conservative than I expected him to be as president, but I think he was his own worst enemy on the personal side. So wh what does this do for the Republican Party, especially as it starts jockeying here for the presidential race? Yeah, well, as you know, I was not a fan. I did not vote for him. I voted for... Well, I didn't vote for McMullen, thankfully, in 2016. I voted for the stoner who didn't know what Aleppo was, Gary Johnson. That was one of my great picks of all time. But as you're saying, I liked what he did in office. I voted for him in 2020. I supported him. And, uh, you know, that was, of course, pre-January 6th and all that craziness. So he did some very good things, and he has a lot to recommend him. Um, with his uh, stomping his feet about DeSantis... It's not even his words, which are kind of ridiculous, even though he has the best words. But the entire tone of this, when he called him desanctimonious at that rally a few days ago, and when he's uh, sending out missives now on True Social, it just communicates outside of the words panic and just deep insecurity about it. It's like, oh no, this guy's ruining the plans that I've been, you know, I've been planning my comeback for the past two years, and this guy's getting in the way, and he's panicked about it. And uh, he didn't respond. He's great at counterpunching when somebody insults him, him going nuclear on him. DeSantis never did that. Yunkin never did that. They're just doing their jobs and focusing on their states, at least for the time being. They're not trying to undercut him. They're not, you know, conspiring against him. They're ignoring him, which drives him a little bit batty. So, yeah, I think he is hurting himself. Um, you also have a lot of people frustrated with, uh, you know, people in our government, the vast majority being 70s or 80s. Uh, if you count Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Donald Trump, Joe Biden. Um, a lot of people just want some fresh faces in there. We have a lot of uh, big um, crises facing this nation, and uh, someone who's a little bit younger might be better to do this, at least in a couple roles in our government. So, yeah, I think it has really turned off a lot of people. There's obviously going to be the diehard people who will, you know, 
go ride and die with Donald Trump, and that's fine. But you need to be building coalitions. He lost in 2020, and if you try to chase away some of the few people who did support you, you won't have a chance even winning the primary uh, coming up in 2024. So I just think it shows desperation. He should be acting confident. That's how you play these things, and he is unwilling to do that. You think we're going to have a fractured party over the next year? We might. It really depends how much uh, people rally behind Trump and uh, if he's able to keep up the energy as well. You know, we've seen what uh, only two years in office have done to Biden. Trump is a lot more together than Biden is. We can definitely say that. And uh, But if there has to be a fight, there has to be a fight. I don't think Yunkin or DeSantis should be uh, making their decisions based on if Trump's going to say mean things about them. Uh, that's a known quantity, but if they think that they are the right solution to this country, go for it. And you're going to have to battle them out. And you don't need to, you know, try to do those conniving and say there's Russian collusion and use some elaborate conspiracy to get rid of Trump. Just go before the voters and see if they choose you. I think uh, DeSantis is kind of in poll position to do well with the voters. And uh, maybe Trump wins, maybe he doesn't. But uh, they need to make the, des- the best decision for themselves, just as Trump has to make it for himself. Yeah, that's uh, a good point. And as you said, so far, DeSantis and Youngkin haven't said much. I saw one clip from Youngkin saying he doesn't get into that sort of uh, uh, back and forth. And uh, DeSantis has actually been dealing with a hurricane that that hit the, right, that hit exactly. the state yesterday. So he's had a, a legitimate reason for not talking. But uh, if you want to avoid the back and forth, just not responding might be the best way to go, at least this far out uh, from any sort of presidential run. I mean, after all, he only won another election three days ago. So uh, pace yourself. <laughs> You're going to you know, have plenty of opportunities, probably. Uh, one addendum to this, and I find this fascinating, uh, John, and that's that the, the never-Trumpers that t- totally flipped to the left seem to be very negative on a Ron DeSantis challenge to President Trump. Remember, they're the real conservatives, or at least that's how they branded themselves at one point, and then they started supporting Democrats en masse. You, know, you think of the Lincoln Project folks and uh, the Bill Crystal bulwark types and that kind of thing. But... Um, now, not only are they more harsh towards DeSantis than Trump, but they seem to have very consistent talking points. In fact, Rick Wilson of the Lincoln Project says, as I've been saying, this guy, meaning DeSantis, has a glass jaw. Watching even Charlie Crist put him on reset in a debate told us a lot, but it didn't really matter, I think, if you look at a 19 and a half point <laughs> margin How'd that there. election turn out? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That really made a difference. Then you've got Joe Walsh, the one-time Illinois congressman who challenged Trump in the primary in 2020. And if you completely missed that, you're not alone. He says, DeSantis has zero charisma. He's weird with people. He's cruel, has authoritarian impulse, can't think on his feet, has a glass jaw. And he's super easily offended. Not to be outdone. Morning, Joe, this morning. Former Republican David Jolly, Florida congressman at one time, Ron DeSantis famously has a glass jaw. (laughs) So, John, not only are these people reading from the exact same uh, sheet music here, it's blatantly obvious that they want Trump to be the nominee, probably because they think he's easier to beat. But remember, this is the guy who is the existential threat to democracy, (laughs) and they want him one election away from the presidency again. Yes, these people, um, the the 
word you need to focus on never Trump is Trump. They require Trump as a boogeyman so they can continue their grift. Let's be honest about this. Yes. Lincoln Project is more interested in buying their uh, principal's sub-zero freezers and uh, nice little motorboats than they are actually turning people out of office. And this is very similar to how Democrats promoted people like Carrie Lake, Doug Mastriano, and other people because they thought, oh, these people will be easier to beat. I think they're definitely wrong with the Carrie Lake choice. But um, yeah, once again, uh, these people, if they thought democracy was under threat, they would act like it. Uh, it's kind of similar to climate change. You can't be complaining about climate change and then uh, jetting around the globe in a private jet. It doesn't sync up. And um, these people, I, I kind of saw this happening uh, several months ago. You could see the never Trumpers turning into never DeSantis people. And uh, they hate DeSantis more than Trump uh, because that's their meal ticket. Yeah. And they think he's probably a bigger threat, too. So uh, I like to call some of these people never conservatives. Because yeah, exactly. The way they flipped on every issue, you know, Crystal, Roe has to go and and then being super upset that the Dobbs decision came down. So Right. Exactly. I mean, a little consistency would help your cause, but uh, they got money to make. So we can't be can't be staying consistent. All right, on to our crazy martini now, John. And this has nothing to do with politics. It's just the, one of the biggest head slaps, face palms, whatever you want to say, in marketing history. And they've got an explanation. I don't know if it's a great explanation, but here we go. This is the People Magazine version, because you know we always use People Magazine as a source here on the Three Martini Lunch. But KFC, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken, is apologizing after German customers were sent an app alert that told promoting cheesy chicken as a way to mark the anniversary of Kristallnacht. Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass, of course, re references Nazi-led pogroms that were violently carried out against Jewish people on November 9, 1938 in Germany. The night is viewed by many historians as the start of the Holocaust. On Wednesday, KFC Germany blasted a promotion to customers telling them to treat themselves to commemorate the horrific event. Quote, it's Memorial Day for Kristallnacht. Treat yourself with more tender cheese on your crispy chicken now at KF Cheese. The message read per a translation from the BBC. Some Twitter users screenshotted and shared the message on social media, calling out the international chain. On Thursday, a representative from KFC Germany shared an official apology with People magazine following the news. It's saying, quote, on November 9th, an automated push notification was accidentally issued to KFC app users in Germany that contained an obviously unplanned, insensitive, and unacceptable message. And for this, we sincerely apologize. The brand blamed the incident on, quote, a semi-automated content creation process linked to calendars that include national observances. And so... They're going to clean up that process, apparently. <laughs> so, John, I mean, the cringe factor on this could not be higher. Yeah, it's just crazy. I must uh, quote the late, great Norm MacDonald, who said, the only country I fear in the world is Germany. I don't know if you guys are history buffs, but yeah, they, they've got a rough record going on. Uh, yeah, for the German KFC to do this, um, gosh, I hope it was some kind of a hacker, but... <laughs> Talk about a ridiculous error. It's just absolutely crazy. Maybe it was one of these uh, Russian hackers who snuck in there annoyed about the Ukraine situation and Germany supplying at least a little bit of help to the Ukrainians. But 
Yeah, I used to many years ago work in marketing, and uh, I would no longer be working <laughs> if this happened on my watch. There aren't that many holidays. I feel like we're getting more of them all the time. And I'm not talking about like National Donut Day and stuff, but like actual federal holidays and things that show up on your desk blotter calendar for those who still use a desk blotter because I'm so old. But, uh, you know, you kind of go through those dozen or at the most two dozen and be like, you know, we should probably skip the app promo on Kristallnacht. <laughs> But it's yeah, just don't don't think this was a, a great uh, boost to their sales, or at least we hope not. Yeah, maybe they could just track the people who actually responded to it positively. Yeah, that's just cringing as much as you could possibly cringe on on that level. It's interesting though that uh, Kristallnacht was November 9th, nineteen thirty eight, because November 9th is the same day the wall came down in 1989. Two different systems, of course. One is Nazism and one's communism. But uh, the fact that uh, both of those happen on the same day on the calendar is crazy, but um, yeah, definitely. I never realized that. So you could do the wall came down promo. That would make <laughs> that would be much more tolerable. Exactly. Yeah, unifying Germany for I don't know if that's a that was a good thing now or not, but uh, boy, um, yeah. If if you're uh, Poland, just uh, keep up your border watch. That's for sure. <laughs> Seriously, John. Always fun to be with you. Hopefully. In the next week, two weeks, we'll know who won some of these races in Arizona. I don't know if you're at a free weekend. Maybe you can help them out and process a few of those things. But maybe Yeah, wanna... I got an abacus here that's just <laughs> gathering dust, so I am ready to volunteer for them. John Gabriel is the editor-in-chief at ricochet.com. He's also the undisputed King of Stuff and host of the King of Stuff podcast. Jim Garrity will be back on Monday. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. Uh, tell a friend about us as well. Thanks also for your five-star ratings, your kind reviews. Remember, you can get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Remember Jim's new novel, Gathering Five Storms, the accompanying short story, Saving the Devil. Follow us all on Twitter. John is at xjohn, E-X-J-O-N. And uh, Jim is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend and join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hey, this is Todd Herman, host of The Todd Herman Show. You might have heard me on Rush Limbaugh's show. I was a regular fill-in for about eight years. God rest Rush. I now do a show out of the high mountains of free America because, you know, I got exiled from Seattle. Mitch McConnell's probably just fine with what happened in the midterms. Honestly. And so where do we look? Well, a lot of people are looking to Ron DeSantis, and there's good reason for that. He coined a great phrase, Florida is where woke goes to die. But he also governed that way. Check out the Todd Herman Show every day on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.